Welcome to another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. Today I interview Abraham Melendrez, Executive Director of Corazon de Pueblo, an arts organization here in the Santa Maria Valley. I also went to see Emma, the new play from PCPA. We also have a chance to chat with Jeff, and he brought his steel guitar. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Doing well, Andy. Nice to see you again. Well, we really haven't had you on the mic that much. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a, well, I was 64, been living in the Central Coast for all my life, pretty much, and uh, working, doing my thing, and hanging out with friends, doing some music. Uh, that's kind of it, making friends wherever I go. Have you been enjoying all this rain and snow? Uh, no, I, I don't enjoy rain. Uh, I always worry that people in cars are not going to be careful, but that's me. I'm a more of a, what would you call it, a scaredy cat? <laughs> well... The, the the strong storm, I noticed that all that asphalt that they used to plug all these potholes washed out. Oh. So Santa Maria is just a moonscape right now. Well, it's no fun. Drive carefully. Well, you know, you're going to hit those things. Not good for you. Well, I do get a little nostalgic because I drive across that bridge and I see that meandering river. You mean here in Santa Maria? That's a beautiful sight, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I see those people camping there and enjoying the river. Oh. It's really opened up a lot of possibilities. Oh, you mean like for weekend uh, enjoyment or even Monday through Friday? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and maybe my property values are going to go up because if there's water in the river, man, that's I'm 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 going to going to the bank with that. Okay, that sounds like a that's a positive thing for all of us people living by the river and loads of loads of rain. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Well, I th- I like it because it. The animals really need that rain, and, and that those tiger salamanders, they're just really frolicking right now and really having a good time. So I'm really happy about that for the salamanders. That, that's an important uh, local species, isn't it, Andy? Yes, it is. It's one of our endangered species here on the Central Coast. Oh, imagine if we could if we could bring back the tiger salamanders population. You know, we'd be... We'd be more respected in the uh, in the ecological community, for one, and uh, well, the salamanders would be giving us the thumb up, or do they have thumbs? I I, I have to look that up. I was using the word paws. Oh uh, oh yeah, like a tiger, right? Um, aren't those the kind that can cling to super super wet surfaces like rocks? I think so. Yes. And they're they're tigers because they they growl or strike. Oh, they're striped. sorry, I. I, I have not really hung out with many of them. Uh, I thought, you know, well. Well, I found that I've been reading a lot about nature and 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 having animals, accommodating animals in our urban environment. And they say that if you let your lawn grow a little long, that it really helps the birds and the insects. And, and the other thing is I have uh, a lot of noise. I have some freeway noise where I live, and I thought an amphibian pond with some good, nice frogs at night. I think that would be very soothing. Gosh, that's a that's that sounds really relaxing. I'm told that when the heavy rains come along, well, that the worms come up to the surface and the birds have a field day at feeding. It's it's just great for the avian population too. I love hearing birds in the morning and in the evening. It it really does make me feel 
like this is one of the more beautiful places to live. Yes, it is. Well, you 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 went up to see the theater last night in Mora Bay. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, a good friend of mine uh, has a a part in uh, one of the local plays in Mora Bay's by the Sea Productions, and uh, the show is the Psychic, and it's going on for another week or so, and. We just had a wonderful time. I took my I took my ex-wife up there because I thought it would be fun to get out, and then we can talk over old things and, you know, just kind of uh, catch up. And um, well, we went to have a little meal uh, in one of those nice local uh, restaurants there on the Embarcadero, and um, well, it turns out it was right adjacent to a, a dessert place, and the dessert place is run by my girlfriend's daughter and i i kind of thought no would it matter would it matter if she saw us eating in the restaurant next door and uh then i thought it can't help it, it's not gonna help anything and so i saw a young woman behind the counter and uh, she ducked into the back and i just imagined how easy it would be for her to draw a conclusion that would not be accurate, that would not reflect well on my on my integrity. For one, you know, I I treasure my integrity. And well, Andy, have you ever found yourself walking, as they say, close to the volcano's edge? Yeah, I can recall a time where, after my divorce, I you go through this phase where like we can just be friends. And then I went to a house party with my ex-wife and I brought a girl that I was dating and she was this beautiful from Georgia, from the Republic of Georgia and had this great accent. And so we were having this pool party and then it was time to go and we were getting changed and dried off and, and she was in the bathroom and she motioned me into the bathroom and and then we were in there together and that was not that was it that was the sign that we got led to the door at that point yeah that the, was just way too much the volcano's edge is famous because it kind of kind of stinks like sulfur and imminent death and and uh i thought oh yes i'll i'll be more cautious at uh the locations that I'm I'm driving around and seeing. Uh, on the other hand, everything was perfectly innocent. But when another person sees something, they they can draw the wrong conclusion. It's not their fault if they do. And the more you try to explain it, the worse it gets. That's right. Don't over-explain it. Uh, this has been my problem my whole life. I always try to come up with reasons and rationales to try to normalize things and. Um, I don't think, well, guys, tell me if I'm wrong, that women want to hear it. Right. Yes. No, no they do not no, want to hear it. No, no, yeah. And if you try to explain it with a smile on your face, you look like a liar. And if you smile and stammer, you look like a bigger liar. And if you make excuses and say it's not what you think, well, that is like underlining the lie and saying, uh, pay attention this is what lies look like. And so I, I'm not a liar by nature. And uh, I thought it's better to be a silent co-conspirator than to be a man who's you know put on trial for a crime he did not commit. Well, you brought your pedal steel today. Uh, I was really just lovely to hear it. And, and I know you're pr really 
passionate about that instrument. It's a remarkable guitar. I mean, it is a guitar, and it is an electric guitar. And so all the fun you can have with an electric guitar, like running it through an amp and running it through an echo and running it in the middle of a band singing a good old sweet old song or a rockin' song, any of that kind of stuff, the pedal steel can do. And it's, I mean, there's no steel except the bar that you hold in your hand. Most of these instruments are made of wood and aluminum because it's lighter. In the old days, they were made of maple and pop metal, and they used to be pretty heavy, but this one I carry around with me. It's 24 pounds, and so it's not a terribly heavy instrument, and it sings as sweetly as any of the expensive ones. Mine was um, just a shade over 500, and a lot of people have no idea what these things cost or what they're what they're about. They think it's... Well, it's to whine like, and you could do that, but that's kind of, that's kind of making a mistake. If you can imagine, well, three pretty angels standing beside a microphone, looking at you, waiting for you to tell them when to go, ah, and to do so in a way that, well, it's going to turn a fellow's head. That is the beauty of the steel guitar. It is like a choir of pretty girl singers, maybe, or a choir of three expert sweet-singing violinists. I mean, imagine that. There you are with a bunch of grimy guys in overalls and boots playing country music, and then there's one sound that says, Come closer, like a siren's call. That's what it does. Wow. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Andy. See you next week. Today with Abraham Melendrez, and he is the executive director of Corazon de Pueblo here in Santa Maria. Hey, good afternoon, Abe. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we've worked together. We uh, we worked together. You ran for the school board. That was in 2018. Yeah, I think it's been a little while. We've known each other for I want to say I don't know eight years almost. Even before I started uh, working here in Santa Maria, so it's been a pleasure working with you. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten back involved with the Corazon de Pueblo board, and and it's just such a great organization. And to have you at the helm is just, we're really uh, we're really lucky. Oh, thank you, thank yeah, you. We're happy yeah. to have you as, on the board as well. <laughs> well, this podcast is going to promote the, the organization, so <laughs> and maybe we'll have a Corazon de Pueblo. Corazon del Pueblo podcast. Ooh, yeah, that that's a lot fun, of peas in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Corazon del Pueblo because it's a fairly new organization. Yeah, so Corazon del Pueblo got its start. Um, well, the original, I guess, folks that got involved with starting Corazon del Pueblo 
uh, was in around 2015-2016. Um, at the time, there was a lot of uh, killings that unfortunately affected a lot of young people here in Santa Maria. Um, a lot of, you know, 17, 18-year-olds who lost their lives to violence. And so um, one of the things that was happening at the time was that, you know, the mayor and, and you know, leadership in the, in the city kind of calling the usual uh, gang uh, prevention units and, and the sheriffs and, and chief of police and all of that, but they kind of refused to include young people in those conversations. And us as a community, I think a lot of, you know, local Latino leaders kind of got together thinking about, you know, we need to have a solution that involves the people that are being affected. And we wanted a, we wanted those people to have a seat at the table. Uh, that's something I actually personally worked on is getting some youth at that table, um, even against, you know, some people didn't want that. And so I think um, one of the things that we were talking about is that it's not just about gang prevention and, and certainly some of that might be important, but it's also about providing opportunities for young people to be involved in something positive, to learn about themselves, their culture, their background, and to feel like they belong somewhere. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can read anywhere or study anywhere that a lot, a lot of the reasons why people like myself uh, used to be involved in those things, get involved in gangs is because they want a, a place that they feel like they belong in, you know, a family, a, a community. And so um, particularly for us, for Corazón del Pueblo, we wanted to have a space where people can learn about culture, arts, uh, their community, and that young people can practice those things and find their voices. And, you know, it's just a, a positive space uh, that that's keeping them away from drugs, from violence, from being out in the streets. And that's roughly what, what we started. Um, we got our nonprofit license, I believe, in 2018, 2019. And recently I joined as the executive director. And it's just been a, an amazing experience to, you know, we're still very small. It's just two of us part-time employees, but we're slowly growing and, and providing more services for our community. We're Santa Maria's first Latine cultural center. Wow. And, and, you, and there's a physical space. It's on Main Street right across from the mall. Yeah. So right. it's on 201 East Main Street. This is Unit M. And for those folks that are, you know, Santa Maria OGs, they know that it's uh, upstairs from the old Owens music store, which, you know, fortunately closed down, but we're upstairs. So we're keeping that alive a little bit. <laughs> well, what is uh, what are the hours over there? So we're open Tuesday to Fridays, 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. We want to kind of have some after school hours so that, you know, young people and, and we're open to any person from any background, any age as well. Um, but, you know, we want to have some of those hours, some after school, after work type of hours uh, available for the community. Well, can you. Tell us about some of the other programs, that projects you're working on. Yeah, so we not only have the space, um, the space itself is, you know, um, a space for even, you know, high school students if they want to come by and, and work on homework and, and be in, in an artistic space or if they want to use some art. We also have a, a community art supply closet. And um, this is basically a space where we get funded or uh, sometimes donated supplies that community members can take for free. They could take it home. Um, and then we also have been working with the San Maria High School District, San Maria Joint Union High School District, to do our Loteria program. That's something that I'm very excited about. Um, we're going to be doing it again this year. And just a quick rundown of that project is just um, teaching uh, students from like ethnic and gender studies, Spanish AP classes, and the like. Um, working with the teachers to teach them about the history of Loteria. So Loteria is like, you know, the Mexican version of bingo. It's very much picture-based. 
and the history goes back many many years and a lot of it wow. had to do with with things like um you know social commentary on on what's going on currently um so loteria even the one that we typically see sold has evolved throughout the years and so we teach them about that and then we we let them have a go at it you know we they they get to paint their own uh, loteria card their own painting and then we digitize it and print it out for them to play with their families and we see even without us prompting them that a lot of the times a lot of the topics that they choose are relevant to them so you know things like school shootings things like mental health issues um relationship issues farm worker immigration like all these uh, beautiful themes are coming out um and because the students are finding their voice and and we've heard directly from the students that it really like affects them in a positive way. So that's that's one project that we're super, super excited. And it sounds great. I yeah. mean, the district really I was at a meeting last night and they were talking about social emotional learning. And and we really have a mental health crisis with our youth right now. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think arts is really an off ramp for a lot of kids. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As I mentioned, I mean, I know if, if, when I was, you know, 14, 15, if I had a space like Corazón del Pueblo, I know my life would have uh, turned out a little bit differently and not that I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about that now, but, but you know, it, it's, it's hopefully a space where we can keep kids again out of the streets, doing something positive um, and, and finding about their culture. I think one of their big models is, you know, uh, brown people deserve arts too. And, uh, and, you know, for Santa Maria, we're the, you know, as you know, we're the biggest city from Oxnard away to Salinas and we lack things like museums and galleries and those kind of cultural spaces. And so um, we just wanted to be that center that kind of gets that started. Um, and, and also I think to teach people that, you know, uh, Latinos, we're not just good for, for our economic, you know, worker bee, you know, uh, we're not just good for a physical labor, but we bring with us a lot of beautiful traditions from Oaxaca, from Jalisco, from Michoacan, from Sinaloa. A lot of different places we bring a lot of culture and arts that unfortunately haven't been nourished and we want to kind of get young people uh young chicanos who are or mexican americans to get you know reconnected with the roots well that's uh, that's what i enjoy about santa maria is that really when you have cultures that come together you know it really creates it can create something new and something vibrant you know as, as art continues to evolve and I'm really interested in all these, uh, why I'm interested in music and all these uh, music styles that, like the banda music from uh, Southern Mexico. And mm -hmm. and then, uh, so I just enjoy learning. And I I mean, it's just like traveling every day when yeah. <laughs> living here in our little town. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the beautiful uh, thing, right? That we yeah. can expose everyone to all these different things. I mean, we've had, for example, Filipino community members that came to our Dia de los Muertos event and they share with us how similar some of the art practices from Mexico are to their own practices in the Philippines. Or, you know, you talked about banda, like a lot of that has, you know, German polk kind of right, right, yeah. influences. And so I think it's just beautiful to reconnect with all the different cultures that had a part in all of this. Yeah, my family, I, I'm from Texas and uh, in New Bronzeville, uh, it's a Czech community, but it's where that they brought the accordions. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also Bakersfield, uh, I've been really studying bakersfield country music and there's a lot of there's a whole host of uh influences and um on the country artists you know from many mm -hmm. from the um from the the mariachis and the and the traditional music that was also in the valley with the yeah with the farmers from the dust bowl <laughs> it's very fascinating how things yeah. have evolved and mixed and but that's the point it's it's not something to be scared of or fear it's something to you know encourage and and enjoy 
Yeah. Well, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background because uh, you grew up here and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd just be interested in, in our listeners too. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess a short version would be that um, I was born here in Santa Maria at Marion Hospital, but my dad wanted us to grow up in Mexico. So we moved uh, over to where he's from, from Guadalajara, Jalisco. And I grew up there uh, my first nine years. And then we moved back to Santa Maria after really, you know, we were really struggling with poverty. Um, at the time, I was also getting really involved with, um, you know, with gangs down there in Mexico. We lived oh, in a really? very wow. poor. Where did you live in? Um, it was in, it's, it's, uh, it, we call it Santa Margarita, Santa Mago, um, in Zapopan, Jalisco, which is next to Guadalajara. And at the time, and now it's obviously, you know, more modernized, but at the time it was, you know, very much. Uh, very rundown kind of community. It's you know, I, it's a cold concrete kind of jungle style place, and um, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up with they didn't make it. You know, there was a lot of violence, especially now that you know, with cartels taking over and stuff. Um, I so I kind of came from that. I was getting involved with that, and my mom was really struggling to feed us, and so she finally made the the hard decision to bring us back to the U.S. Um, it was not easy. You know, she had to leave me behind. Uh, for half a year but on my own and it was difficult but I think um, coming to the U.S. Um, you know it was, it was tricky it was tricky finding learning a new language um, you know kind of reconciling all the things that had happened to me you know I I remember getting high at the age of four you know just being exposed to those things and uh, and it was hard to kind of let go of some of those things the survival instinct um, and so the U.S. obviously provided an opportunity for us to make a better life for ourselves. Um, and not only that, but I mean, um, I also consider myself a fourth generation. You know, my, my great grandfather oh, wow. was actually worked on a railroad in California, uh, wow. uh, in Southern California. So even though I'm like an immigrant myself, I'm also like a fourth generation. So that's the thing. Immigration is so complex and and that it, it used to be a natural thing. You know, people would migrate for the season with the work and. And so my grandma was actually a citizen, was born in, uh, was born in Southern California. And that's kind of how, you know, we, we kind of got our roots here, specifically in Santa Maria. And so growing up in Santa Maria, I, at the time, I, when, I, when I came over, I had a lot of interest in arts. I used to make a lot of, um, since we were so poor, um, I remember um, we got this um, uh, Play-Doh set gifted from, from like an aunt. And I remember since I couldn't, we couldn't afford like our own like action figures to play with toys and stuff like that. I would make my own out of, oh, wow. you know, and I would love drawing, I would love painting and all that stuff. But I think as a lot of maybe families and I know particularly for my immigrant experience, our parents want us to be a lawyer or a doctor or, you know. That's true <laughs> with all different, you know, the Chinese immigrants and the, they all, yeah. Yeah, so if you tell them, you know, I want to be an artist and all of that, they're they're not necessarily too, ex- you know, uh-huh. <laughs> excited about that because we always get the image of the starving artist and all of that. So I kind of let go of that artistic side of myself. Um, I also play music and piano and guitar. Um, but, um, and I focus just on studies. So, um I would have not graduated high school if it wasn't for some special programs that helped me out. Uh, I, academic programs? or Yeah, uh-huh. it was actually the Center for Therapeutic Education, CTE. Wow. Um, shout out to Glenn Golden. If <laughs> oh, Glenn Golden. I know Glenn Golden. <laughs> yeah, he was my teacher and uh, helped me out a lot. I and graduated. Alison Alpa was my friend, was your sixth grade teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so it was thanks to, uh, I think, uh, our community and people that were helping me out that I was able to make it out of all of that. So... And and I uh, and you went to Berkeley. 
Yeah, so conference, Sarah. Uh huh. So thanks to uh, Hancock College, uh-huh. I was able to get a second opportunity to uh, to go to a university, and I a never second thought. Opportuni- uh, well, when I graduated high school, I didn't even have a two point oh GPA. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so it gave you a gave you a second chance. To for me, yeah. For me, it wasn't even like a thing that I was going to go oh, to university, yeah, yeah. let alone somewhere like Berkeley. Uh, but yeah, it was it was such an exciting experience, you know, with my with my girlfriend Sarah. And uh, we went together. She also has an amazing story. Um, and now we're, you know, and then we came back to, you know, we wanted to work in the community that helped me out so much and give back. And, and that's actually when I started working at Cause as a community advocate and community organizer. But just and that's when, when we met. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how we met. Uh-huh. Um, well, I just wanted to hear, uh, Deanna Perez was talking about her working with you when you were in Hancock and maybe... Did she have to persuade Sarah's family to? Was that a lot for your for you guys to go to Berkeley? You know, from your from your family's perspective. Yeah. So my girlfriend Sarah actually doesn't doesn't really have a family. That's oh, part of her story. Is um, she was in the foster system, adopted by you know abusive parents, and she I actually helped her escape her situation. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she ran away with me, and we just focused on school. We were we were living at Hancock twelve hours a day. Oh. We bring our own little lunch. And uh, and I told her, you know what, if this is our dream, we got to reach for it. And we applied to all the scholarships and everything. Um, and we were just thinking, hey, if we just even get accepted to like, you know, San Jose State or something like that. Right. We never imagined we would make it somewhere like Berkeley. You know, obviously we would have been happy and grateful for anything, but uh, super excited that we were able to make it all the way up there. And what was your experience like at Berkeley? It was tough. It was oh, tough. Yeah. I, I, remember, I went to Davis and I remember that first year. Uh, but yeah, I remember a lot. Very challenging. Yeah, yeah, it just it just felt like we didn't belong there, you know, especially oh, also wow. as a transfer student. I was also an older student. Uh-huh. I was uh, like 25 at the time because I, I finished high school at 21. And so I was always kind of a little behind. And uh, but I made it yeah. <laughs> barely, but I did <laughs> <You know? laughs> got the piece of paper. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what matters. And yeah. uh, and I knew I wanted to work in the community. Yeah. And to be honest, uh, working at cause taught me so much more than any kind of graduate degree or. I bet. What did you. Uh, so you started as uh, uh, organizer and mm-hmm. what were some of your early projects and what did you learn? Yeah, so with Cause, I was actually their first um, young adult organizer. This was something that they were trying out at the time to kind of get more young adult people involved um, with social issues. Um, so I was like the guinea pig on some of that. Uh, but we did a lot of different campaigns, whether it was, you know, standing up for immigrant rights, uh, farm worker issues. Um, I helped lead social media campaigns that reach, you know, millions of people to help some of our local workers get a, ra- a race because um, they were being uh, also mistreated and and stuff like that. Um, we got to lobby, you know, in, in Sacramento and, you know, talk with representatives about the issues that are affecting our community. You know, a lot of times people don't think about a lot of issues that are affecting us um, and, in the fields or because they don't know. You know, it's uh-huh. not because they don't want to, but because they just really don't know what's going on out there. Um, so I, 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 I would go, I could go on all day about all that, but it was needless to say, it was a master's degree, uh, probably a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Melinda. (laughs) I'm super grateful for all they taught me. It was tough, but it was a lot of learning. Well, that's so president Obama was an organizer. So that's a good start. (laughs) And I met, I, I think about myself and it's like, I, you know, both you and I, we have a passion for organizing. It's just Mm -hmm. so powerful once you start doing it it's just so powerful yeah 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 Yeah, absolutely wow and then um 
then you ran for the school board and yeah so i mean at the time i was <laughs> really um <laughs> optimistic about things so i ran for school board yeah. it was it was challenging it's hard it's it's we had a new uh candidate uh osvaldo sotelo and mm -hmm. it's hard for a new candidate yeah and at the and, time and it w there wasn't yeah. any district elections it was all right, citywide yeah. uh -huh. so i had to campaign throughout the city and unfortunately, yeah, I think we lost by like 3% or something like that. Right, but yeah. I think for me, it was a, a very good learning experience. Right. And I'm glad that I've been able to support other people that are now serving on both the high school and the elementary school board and get to where they are now. So I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm totally happy with the outcome because it ended up being able to help even more people get, get them, you know, to encourage them to, to run for those positions and actually be serving on them. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. Um, I, on the side, also wanted to do, you know, be more artistic. I uh -huh. wanted to continue to explore my artistic side. Um, and with cause doing, I was also like their, you know, media, social media uh -huh. campaign relations person. So I was like, hey, we should get a, we should get a camera. We should get this. I was always bugging them about oh, yeah. that. Yeah, we yeah. need to have, you know, people see what, what's happening in the field and in our community. And uh, and so I, I started doing photography again. And, uh -huh. and thankfully now I, I, I have, you know, jobs that... Sometimes call me up to, you know, I do photography uh -huh. here and there like as, uh, as, a side, as a side job. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, um, in when the pandemic hit, um, I got really sick. Actually, I was one of the first people in Santa Maria oh, to get wow. COVID. Uh -huh. And I got really, really sick. So I had to stop working for almost a whole year. It oh, my gosh. Out. It was really bad. And this was before, any, you know, any kind COVID. of vaccines or anything like uh -huh. that. Wow. Um, and so I, you know, I stopped working, but then I, I kind of started working back in San Luis Obispo. I worked with the with the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation, um, working with their undocumented um, support uh, program up, up there. And and then that's later on. That's how I heard about Corazón del Pueblo. You know, I, well, I already knew about Corazón del Pueblo uh -huh. because through cause. Uh -huh. But um, but that's how they reached out to me. Hey, you know, we need a new ED. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh, my God, this would be amazing. Like, this gets to combine my passion for social justice and organizing with my artistic right, aspirations. Right. And, and it's just, it's an awesome job. It's a dream job. Well, I, I just look at Santa Maria, and I just look at, it's so much opportunity. The fact that we have 100, you know, 100,000 people, mm -hmm. and there's just nothing, there's just not a lot. And there's just a lot of room to grow. And I, but I really think the interests and the power is there. It's just uh, developing a nonprofit and government sectors that are really supporting it. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes time and it, and you have to change minds. Um, yeah. I was at a, uh, like, for example, our school district, I was really pushing the arts for about eight years ago and I just, I got nowhere. And, and now they're, uh, now oh well there's money helps there's mm -hmm. some state money but but people are talking about education in a completely different way they're talking about relationships and student engagement and and um so i mean there's been a lot of i mean there has been a lot of change but it's oh, yeah. it's still pretty slow but but that's that's how change happens yeah and yeah. you know we're coming from like the focus on you know obviously the no child left behind the the, the stem uh focus and you know i think slowly thankfully we've been able to kind of change that to like a steam you know including the arts in there and realizing that hey we also need the arts you know yeah <laughs> um they're just as valuable for especially for young people uh to to learn about and uh 
and we don't i mean i think we often underappreciate all the access to the arts we have you know movies and shows and music and dance and all these things and we don't think about the people that are behind you know making that happen studying and developing their skills to to get there and so we need to invest more in that and, and you're right as, as unfortunately schools stopped um you know investing right in that yeah um that's that's where we are have been seeking you know thankfully the state i think has been stepping up on some of that uh, but our goal ultimately is you know even if for some reason corazon de pueblo wasn't around we want we want there to be funding sources like permanent funding sources that are coming from the city from the county from the state that are going to continue to support local artists well and that is uh, i've raised this issue with it's economic development mm -hmm. arts bring in money yes and this is a tourist economy and so uh, we can we bring people up here for something besides barbecue and off-road vehicles, <laughs> yeah. which I love barbecue. <laughs> Try tip. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well. So what? Uh, so you got you got the Lotteria project coming up, and mm -hmm. um, so we got a year of programming, and and uh, so it's a really exciting time. Yeah, we also have a few other things that we do. We did, we finally brought back the Dia de Muertos event at the mall uh -huh. last year, and so that's something we're gonna continue to hopefully do every year now. Um, huge success. We also brought uh, celebrations for Hispanic Heritage Month up here. I know it's typically more of a Santa Barbara thing, but we decided, you know, our Latino community also deserves to be represented, and we had I think over four thousand people attend that we were working we were working yeah, with that the was school a big district event. wow yeah yeah and we had you know we had like danza del diablo which is like this really cool indigenous dance um we had you know banda and, and all these and music and uh, we were playing loteria there live i was actually doing the <laughs> calling the uh, <laughs> calling the cards and and you know giving out the prices and all that it was a lot of fun and i think the community starting to see hey you know like we want to do that too like i said we we're more than just field workers and you know restaurant workers and what have you it's like we bring a lot of culture and, and art i think when people see examples and they're like wow this is what our community could be this is the art that i could engage in and support and and i i think when they see it, it there's a lot of interest and mm -hmm. excitement and support yeah and i think i you know i i want to thank you know the school both school districts i think they've been the ones stepping up putting that money there uh, making sure that that's actually a, a, a priority for the community because, you know, I think they're, they're doing a good job of working together and hopefully they continue to, you know, improve that. Well, I was saying to the district, it's really, in this valley, it's almost the responsibility of some of these governments to s develop a nonprofit sector mm -hmm. to support. I mean, they have, they have fighting back and they, they, they have developed orga other organizations mm -hmm. and this is seed money um, to build these organizations because there's just, it's on a shoestring. There's just, it's really from grant year to grant year and, mm -hmm. and really we're looking for more sustainable, uh, exactly. a more sustainable model. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that we need to continue to advocate is the sustainability for the funding. So you're playing guitar. You want to tell me a little bit about rocking on the, uh, <laughs> what program is that? 
Um, oh, so it's a video game. It's a computer game. It's called uh-huh. Rocksmith, uh-huh. and uh, it's uh, it's this game that yeah, I don't know if people remember like the old uh, Guitar Hero or stuff like that, the Beatles games and all that. And you used to have these like plastic controllers that had like these buttons. And I think someone eventually thought, wait, why don't we just use an actual guitar <laughs> as the <laughs> controller uh-huh. and actually teach people real guitar rather yeah, than just the Guitar Hero. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I bought myself an electric guitar recently and been reconnecting with that. I'm a lot in, I'm really, really into rock, but, you know, I enjoy all kinds of music. Uh-huh. My dad played his whole life. He, uh, he's, and he, does he still, he plays uh, yeah, for events. Plays, yeah, he does. So he's a he, sweet player, really. Thank beautiful. you. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, he likes a lot of like the classical stuff. Yeah. Um, so I want to like learn trio, about, yeah. yeah. Like trio music, uh-huh. like Los Panchos and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And maybe some more modern kind of pop stuff um in spanish and italian stuff like that um and but so yeah so that's kind of how i i got the bug but he he never really wanted to teach me he said he never had the patience to oh really <laughs> yeah that's interesting but he did give him my first guitar so <laughs> i think that makes up for it well every guitar player has a my first guitar was yeah. this beat up it cost 20 bucks <laughs> i got it at the blankety blank yeah know? no he got me a nice <laughs> one, one. So. <laughs> So yeah, uh, so this this game it's really cool. Like you connect it, you it, you have to have like a you know a, a guitar that you can hook up to like an amp or something uh, like yeah. that. And there's like this connector that uh, changes that um, amp connection to like a USB, uh-huh. and you just connect it to your computer and you follow along and you learn to slow you down the songs. And yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well we'll be rocking the Aerosmith. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Abraham. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. All right. You're a pro. Well, last night I went to PCPA and got to see Emma. It is the West Coast premiere of Joseph Hanready's adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. Emma is the fourth and longest novel by John Jane Austen, published in three volumes in 1815. Emma was the last book Austen completed during her lifetime. The novel is set in the fictitious village of Highbury, England, in the early 19th century. The story centers around Emma Woodhouse, a precocious young woman who has misplaced confidence in her matchmaking abilities, which leads to several romantic misadventures, including her own. Emma was played by Emily Trask, and she's one of their teachers and equity actors and she's been there since 2018 really loved her performance and this play brought back a lot of the old regulars I I, I shouldn't say old but uh, we have Mark Boer who played Mr. Woodhouse he's also the executive director of PCPA George Walker played Mr. Elton and he's always good for a good comedy Kitty Bailey is back she was I remember her in a little Mer- the little mermaid she was back as Miss Bates. I really enjoyed the voice. There was a, a younger character who was probably a student. Her, na- her character's name was Jane Fairfax, 
played by Lottie Arnold, and I really enjoyed her voice. She had some time at the keyboards, and I really enjoyed her voice. I noticed with the staging of the play that there was... It was very simple. It was it was very stark, the stage, and they just brought out a couple simple, simple objects. And it reminded me of some of their Shakespeare stagings. Uh, Emma is, was ahead of her time. She was an independent woman, didn't need a man, didn't want to get married, uh, but she's using all this intelligence to get herself in trouble and try to set all her friends up. She kind of reminded me of maybe a Julia Louise Dreyfus in, in Veep, uh, the arrogant woman that kind of acts kind of unintentionally causes havoc. And so, and it really, in this day and age, I always ask myself, well, what does this have to say to our society? And in England in the 1800s, it was a very class-oriented society. And, and we don't like to talk about class in America, but we should talk about class, and and the plot had to do with oh, cause should I marry this guy? Well, he's only a farmer, and and uh, I, we need to marry up with someone that's more more wealthy and substantial, and and those those issues and themes are are really salient today. So I, I really recommend this play. Um, it is going to be in uh, it it's going to be in Santa Maria. Last night was the opening. Uh, March 2nd through 19th, and it's going to be at the Solvang Theater Fest, uh, July 22nd through July, June, June 22nd through July 2nd. I'm also going tonight to the Fremont for some good New Orleans funk, and I, I, I've been on the jam cruise. I, I'm a big, uh, I used to be really into the jam bands, and, and there was a lot of New Orleans musicians, and, and one of the mainstays of that cruise was George Porter Jr. He was in a very famous band called The Meters, and they just pretty much invented funk uh, in the in, from the New Orleans area, and they wrote, Fire on the bayou, hey, pocky way. So he's, he's in his 70s, uh, still doing it. He used to be wearing that tie-dye shirt. He I think he's changed his... His uniform a little bit, but his group is called the Runnin' Partners, and he's also with John Cleary and the Absolute Monster Gentlemen. But this this music from New Orleans, you cannot sit still. It's got that, you know, it's got that syncopated rhythm, and a lot of horns, a lot of uh, George Porter plays that funky bass. So anyway, I'm going to go up there to the Fremont and get a little of that culture, some of that Mardi Gras Indians. I just I just can't get enough of that music and that percussion. So I'll let you know how it goes next week. You have reached the end of another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. I would like to thank Abraham Melendrez for joining us as our special guest. We are on Instagram. Cowboy Jeff and Andy and are looking for artists and musicians to interview in the Santa Maria or Central Coast area. I am able to be reached on Yahoo. Yes, I'm still on Yahoo. And Andy Watson at Yahoo.com. Bye-bye.